0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Cute Monster Show. I'm your host, Vincent Daly. On this episode, I'll be speaking with children's media superstar, Angela Santamero.
1: Hi out there. It's me, Steve. Have you seen Blue, my puppy? Who's got the power, the power to read? Who answers the call? friends and needs Super Y, Super Y He's the guy, he's Super wide. He's it's
0: phone. a beautiful day in the neighborhood A beautiful day for a neighbor Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Hi, Angela, and welcome to the Cute Monster Show. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, you are well known in children's education for your various creations, but I was hoping to get back to the beginning, to where it all started. I mean, presently, you're known for being an innovative creator of quality educational media. But what was the kid version like of Angela Santomero? Were you vastly different from the person you are today?
1: Um, I was that little girl who could not sit any closer to, to the TV when Mr. Rogers was on. I talked with him. I believed him when he told me that he liked me just the way that I was. Um, so I, I definitely was a very imaginative, playful kid. Um, and I grew up to be that um, favorite babysitter, camp counselor, could not you know, be around kids any more than I, you know, I was constantly around kids. I I was always, you know, an avid reader. I, um, you know, surrounded by kids all the time. That's just kind of uh, how I grew up.
0: So it it kind of became full circle for you then.
1: Yes, it really did. I mean, even in high school, I um, worked at F.E.O. Schwartz in the toy department, you know, and I just remember thinking um, how you can really, you know, put all the dots together of all the different things that you've ever done, right? right, Um, and how it all comes full
0: circle. Nice. On your website, Angelus Clues, you wrote about the time you were 14 years old. Specifically, that was when your brother was born, and you were fascinated by him. He became your first real child development case study. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yes, my my brother really uh, was that first um, class in child development, right, watching him say his first words and watching him talk, but then, or, you know, even interacting to the TV, right? Like, you know, I, I have talked about this before, but with Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and he would kick at the TV and, you know, I was just fascinated by what, you know, just who he was and, and also his questions, right? As a preschooler, um, reading him books and having him ask me a million questions about what, you know, what and why and how and all the motivation. And, you know, I just remember thinking how smart, you know, he was and again, being around kids so much. Um, I just absolutely enjoyed being around some, you know, my, it felt like my own, right? <laughs> like just literally one-on-one like that. And I think that really stuck with me. But also this need for formative research, this need for me to make sure that even 20 years later, I take scripts into kids, or at least my team will take kids in, uh, scripts into kids to make sure um, that we're listening to them and we understand the questions that they have about the scripts and how we can continue to inspire them.
0: Were you much of a, a science fiction fan growing up? Did that play a part in your creative development as well?
1: Not as much science fiction. I definitely was more about the fant- uh, fantastical worlds and jumping inside inside those worlds um, in more of the, the classic sense.
0: Tell me a little bit about the creative process behind the initial production of your shows. I mean, how does the story you envision mesh with the visual? Do you have any idea what the characters should look like? For example, was Blue the dog from Blue's Clues always a blue dog from the very start?
1: We did not necessarily know that the dog was going to be blue. We, you know, for every show, there's a different aha moment um, and something that is really crystallized and visual, um, and and I can see it, right? I can see this little image or this little visual um, of what it is that we're trying to do, and mostly it comes from the need, right, like empowering kids, like what is it that I feel like we want to be doing next? Um, And for Blue's Clues, it was a game show is what the network wanted, um, and I, of course, wanted to do education, and, um, and so I thought, okay, give kids love to play, right? So from a game show perspective, we could do kindergarten readiness skills and get them involved and invested in learning colors and numbers and letters and, like, all of the things that you would need to get ready for kindergarten through story. And so it became more of that, as dry as that sounds, it became more of that kind of educational pitch of how to get kids Involved and invested the way that you would in a game show, and Double Dare was really big for Nickelodeon at the time. So instead of contestants and that kind of interaction, um, where you're watching at home, you're watching kids interacting in the game. I was proposing that kids were interacting at home, and then I knew all the while that they would be learning. Um, And I talked about that, but I didn't necessarily make that the big part of the pitch. But it wasn't until I was paired with Tracy Page Johnson, my co-creator, and the two of us and our idea started to mesh in what we wanted to do and how we wanted to see everything come out. We knew that there was a live action character. I knew I wanted a Mr. Rogers figure, figure and then a little animated character that would be able to play, quote unquote, with the home viewer. Um, and because we were talking about the blue screen environment and how we needed, in order to do this, we needed to put the live action guy in a blue screen environment, the blue was just something we were talking about all the time and so it just became really natural that our character would be named blue
0: Ah, so there, there is there is happenstance involved excellent <laughs>
1: Exactly.
0: so a show like super why which is not necessarily dependent on the color but more about superhero characters and storybook characters etc do you have an idea in your mind what they're supposed to look like ahead of time because as you know the visual is just as important to engage a young child as well as a story, of course.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, it, it, of course. And, and what I love about animation is that we can visualize things that you can't obviously see um, in real life, right? So for Blue Clues we were able to visualize Steve's and Joe's thoughts, right, and how to think through something in the way that we played the clue game and just have that, that something that, that was really visual. And also for Super Y, it was so important that we had these cool-looking superhero characters that had power, that had transformation, that had... um this ability to propel the story forward because of what they could um, what they could do. And again, um, the bigger idea was, was something that I had wanted to do when I was getting my master's at, at Teachers College, Columbia University. So I wrote it before Blue's Clues, but this idea to get kids um, invested in reading. And so that was really the first thing. And how do we do that? And the idea that you feel like a superhero when all of a sudden, you know, you really can read and the world opens up to you and so that's how that started and then the idea to because we knew that it was going to be on pbs they didn't have any 3d shows at the time so we really wanted to bring that level of sophistication to the who these superhero characters were um are and create that 3d uh look for them
0: did you have an idea though i mean how many iterations did you go through before it was finally approved that this is the look this is what super why and the characters will be
1: Oh, my God. I think that, um, like, a ton. Like, we are constantly tweaking, let's put it that way. Like, we knew we wanted these great superhero characters, but exactly what colors did we want and how are they going to pop from the environment and what exactly should they look like and how is their hair going to move? Like, we were tweaking Until the last minute like that. And that's where it's so funny about live action. So when we're shooting Steve for Blue's Clues or Joe, I could be tweaking that script up until the moment that he says that line, you know, and even if I needed to, I could reshoot something if I have to the next time we're about to shoot another episode. So I am such a type A person that like we're constantly perfecting and tweaking. So so, yeah, and even the superwise script, I think we must have taken into research at least 50 times um, before that first, you know, that very, very first episode. Um, so our development time for the very first one is very um, involved. Uh, and we're just constantly perfecting and making sure because the balance of it all has to really sit, right? Because at the end of the day, it has to be a hit show or, else, or, or a show that kids want to watch or they're not going to learn anything.
0: Do you make these changes along the way? For example, if you create a pilot episode of a children's television show and it's animated, etc., are the characters going to be radically different from that first show or are they just going to develop over time?
1: The first show is a very strong indication of the characters and the environment and the world because it's very expensive to be making that level of change when you go to series. And sometimes we do, sometimes we have, but mostly it's tweaking and mostly it's story. Um, When we did Wish and Poof, it was an 11-minute pilot, and we wanted to create a 22-minute episode. So the story arcs and the approach to story changed um, from the pilot to to the series. But the characters were the characters, and then they develop over time the way characters do in a story. And so we're constantly bringing... Um, we have rules, and we don't necessarily break the rules, but we, we advance the story and the character development as much as we can through, um, through as we're telling the story, as the, as the series progresses.
0: At what point during the development are you bringing kids into the mix to actually see what you've created and gauge how they feel about your creation?
1: We bring them in at a second draft of a script. So we have our, our researchers, or our experts, first of all, and, and in kids and, t- kids and TV and how kids learn and how to observe who preschoolers are. Um, and what we'll do is we'll take in um, a second draft script where the researchers will have people to create uh, artists to create a storybook type of um, we call it storybook testing. They'll create visuals based on that script um, and so most of the time they're just at the beginning, you know, when something is brand new they're just literally creating these characters that might not necessarily be the characters we have but just in order to get the story in front of kids um, and then we'll take that into as many kids as we can throughout the tri-state area mostly in New York because we can, we can get a bunch of different kinds of kids and different ages and different, you know, all different um, kids from all over here um, and then we're observing them, we're watching them, are they interacting? What kind of questions are they asking? Are they running out of the room because they don't want to listen to the story? Um, and then we make changes. And depending on our time, um, we cons- consistently bring that script back um, every t- until we really feel like we've got it. And then we turn the script into a Leica, an animatic, a black and white version of the show um with with, it's a storyboard basically that's moving and we bring that into kids as well and for instance in a new show that we haven't announced yet but we're developing we brought the leica in three times um perfecting and working with our animation company to get it exactly where we the sweet spot of where we needed it to be
0: are you making use of online as well to get a, a broader look at what's going on in terms of interest
1: we use um we have a we use Facebook for parents and we you know in terms of understanding what parents are saying and what they want, or you know social media people can talk to me all the time through um through my twitter or through the through the blog, and people are constantly asking for certain. Episodes or certain things in something like a Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood that um, I'm so ecstatic about that has really kind of been one of those shows that parents are talking about. They really have a point of view about what stories they want to be told to help their preschoolers because there are these little strategies that we have in Daniel um, that are musical strategies that are that are life. Skills, basically, that are helping kids with sharing, with playing together, with sadness, with anger. And so we get um, story ideas from, from the parents as well.
0: You have a deep connection with the legacy of Fred Rogers, who's beloved all over the world as Mr. Rogers. In your children's series, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, is a wonderful tribute to the spirit of that work. Now, what lesson do you think he might teach kids to help ease the, the heightened level of divisiveness that we're seeing today?
1: Oh Gosh, that's such a good question, and, and so many times I wish Fred was here, right, to be able to ask him um, what it is that we would do. And I think that, you know, the thing that's so fascinating to me, and again, having to, I, that I've gotten to know, I knew, was able or had the um, honor to know Fred um, while he was alive and, and to understand his work and his, you know, child development and the idea that he really respected kids and elevated who they are. Um, you know, the the fact that the, what he says about looking for the helpers is still something that I'll see go through my feed and go through social media today about what's going on. Like when we're so distraught about what is happening or if the kids are starting to feel our stress or have questions about certain things. And again, you know, different ages warrant different answers, but the idea that you can always look for the helpers and look for the people that are making a difference and trying to um, get us out of this situation is something that I think about every day and have shared with my kids in terms of um, in terms of not focusing on the negative but trying to focus on on the people that are trying to make a difference.
0: I just happened to watch one of your uh, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood episodes, and the, the theme was. Learning how to play well together, and I think that's very appropriate.
1: <laughs> so, I, Exactly. I, find a way to play together. Yes. <laughs> it's very appropriate.
0: The digital landscape keeps changing at a rapid pace, as you know. What do you think the future holds for children's educational media? I mean, virtual reality seems to be coming out of its niche form and into more of a mainstream situation. Do you think that will have some sort of uh, integration into children's media?
1: Yeah, I think that um I'm really looking at the science behind some of that for the young kids because I work for especially for Daniel with such young um with the brains are so young and developing that I really want to look at the science behind what it would be like to put them inside an environment by wearing goggles or, wear or doing any of that right. work for this age group, for the young young kids. I think that from an interactive standpoint, it's fascinating to me um, to watch them play the apps and what we're able to do from an interactive level where they feel like they're interacting and playing with Daniel and doing it at, the, at, the, at their pace right and doing it in a true way obviously on on the show we leave pauses for them to feel bonded and to be interacting but when you can see it and then also um these interactive kid experiences i think are really interesting right not just live shows but how you can put a child inside um a situation in real time in a real place you know and just watch them play in that in that sense i think it's going to be interesting as we you know in terms of more and more opportunity for things like that and then i think from a digital standpoint it's just that we have more you know and i think that we Really um, really, what I think that we have to do as consumers and parents is to be able to have that media literacy around it, right? Like to understand is more better and which shows are really are really um, worth my child's time at this age in this temperament and, you know, the way that my child is. Because basically I'm always saying <clears throat> when you put on a show, anywhere you put it on, it's like opening the door to your living room, right? You're inviting these kids and these characters into play and let's make sure that we want them around, Um, Our kids.
0: I I can't imagine what life will be like ten years from now if we continue at this rapid pace. Which is, you know, it's fascinating to me to ask someone in your position where we're going in that respect. So thank you for that.
1: Sure, of course.
0: So what's coming up next for you? You have any projects you'd like to mention to our listeners?
1: I am super excited that I have a book coming out this spring um, in April with Touchstone and Simon and Schuster. It's called Preschool Clues. Um, and in it, I talk about um, a healthy media diet in terms of being, being smart consumers as parents and looking at media and how and some of these stories about how we go about creating our media um, from a child development perspective and point of view, but also just how we can use media to help parenting, to help our everyday lives, like using a Daniel Tiger um, strategy and how you know some of those examples of how when you use those strategies in your parenting and your everyday life how helpful they can be because of peer modeling because of the pausing because of respectful communication I basically break out all the different clues um, that are in all of my shows very good and, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah exactly <laughs> um, and then some of the personal stories in terms of my story
0: well, thank you, Angela, for joining me today on the Cute Monster Show. It was such an honor and a pleasure to have you on. And I'd like to add a collective thank you from parents all over the world for the work that you do. And I hope you join me again sometime in the future.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
0: And thank you, everyone, for listening. Until next time, I'm Vincent Daly, and this is the Cute Monster Show, signing off.